oh, something must have happened here. It's like glitter <laughs> all over. I don't know. I'm going to have to talk about <laughs> No, it's real. It's all over. It's like a celebration up here. So great. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Pastor Linda, thank you. <laughs> if you leave with those words echoing in your mind, you are always here with me. You are always here with me. Um, that is enough to have that message. Thank you so much for sharing the blessing of those words of your music today. That's a gift. And I know there's still more to come. But we have been blessed richly. I'm so glad that you're here. Raise your hand if you were with us at the Fall Festival Saturday night. Just raise your hand and look around. It was epically awesome. It was so good. We had, we think, around 450 people that came out and got to hear our amazing karaoke, spontaneous karaoke and pie eating and all sorts of fun that was happening, corn dogs, cotton candy. It was a blast. It was really amazing. So thank you for making that possible. But what we were celebrating a lot is that we had people coming from our neighborhood and from our community that were like, this is a lot of fun. These people, this is awesome. It was so great. Oh yeah, you pie eating ones over there. <laughs> that was so, so fun. So great job. Oh, and there's pie eating ones right up here too. You guys were so good. Aubrey and Isla at their pie eating. So we really, really had a blast and gr grateful to have these moments together as a church community that we get to celebrate. So huge shout out to Pastor Linda and Pastor Laya who were a huge part of making that possible. It was great fun. Would you pause with me as we pray together? I acknowledge on behalf of your community of faith today, God, that we know you are here. We don't always feel aware of it, but you are. And so my request is not <laughs> to do something you're already doing, which is be right here with us, but to open our eyes to the reality that you are with us. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. The danger with familiarity is that you can be blinded so that you don't see. And that's what happens with super familiar people that you're around, things that you do, the things that you take advantage of every day until they're gone or until you suddenly wake up one moment and it's like your eyes are open. Some of you send me beautiful sunrise or sunset pictures and you're like, it's like I'm seeing it for the first time, but I've lived in California all this time and it's so beautiful. Or someone who said, I didn't realize how much I needed this restroom in my house until it was under remodel and I didn't have it. My eyes were opened. Or my child is growing up and suddenly my eyes are open to see them as if for the first time and to recognize. We can get so blinded by familiarity that we don't hardly notice the thing that's in front of us. And that's what happens with this passage because the words are super familiar to you. This is one of those in Philippians that like you've heard it, you've said it, but the context and the meaning in it can so easily be missed if you're not paying attention. So I, I pray that we would be able to see this 
in new eyes because Paul was speaking some very specific words from a specific place. And the context of it helps us to understand what they can mean for us. He says these words that we just heard, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. How many of you have told yourself those words at some point in your journey, your experience with Christ? Have you ever said those words to yourself before? You've said them probably like rejoice, just rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, rejoice, I'll say it again. Sometimes we say those as words to coach ourselves through something, but Paul himself, the context of his words were spoken in the midst of struggle. Philippians chapter four starts off with Iodia and Syntyche are having an argument and Paul, seeking to be peacemaker, says words to them and pleads with them. And then these are his very next words, rejoice in the Lord always. The context of his invitation to joy was struggle. The very place that he was speaking from was a context of struggle in the church in Philippi, struggle in his own life, struggle in his own mind. Remember where Paul was, he was in prison. He was in prison. And the thing that loomed over his head was the potential for execution. That's what he was facing. He longed for and hoped to see this church again. He said, I want to make it back to Philippi. I wish that I was there. But what loomed over his head was, I might not have my hopes realized. I long for this, but it might not be reality. Can anyone relate to that feeling? Does this word suddenly feel like a word for us today? Do you have longings that you're not sure if they will be reality? Paul was like, I want to see you, but I'm not sure if I'll be able to. Remember the people that he brought Jesus to there? Lydia, the businesswoman who opened her home for Paul and his associates, the jailer in Philippi who saw this miracle of the earthquake that broke all of the chains off the prisoners, and then he said, come, come to my house and introduce Jesus to all my family. These were the people Paul had on his heart and whom he loved, and he said, I want to come see you, but I'm not sure if it will be a reality. So Paul was speaking from a place of tension, and what we usually do with tension is we want it to be all one thing or all another thing. So we'll go to one side or we'll go to the other side, but to live in the space in between is what Paul was doing. The reality, the struggle that he was facing, in the midst of that, he was saying rejoice. Who are you, Paul, to talk about rejoicing, to talk about gentleness, to talk about peace? You're in the midst of your own darkness, your own pain. How can you speak about these things from that place? Have you ever felt like that before? Who am I to talk about faith when I struggle? Who am I to teach someone about prayer when I don't always feel the presence of God myself? Who am I to talk about rejoicing in all circumstances when I'm going through whatever you're going through? One of my friends has the ministry of memes. No, seriously, like she's seriously good. She will, a well-timed meme, meme blesses the heart so much and she will send me the right thing at the right time. Does anyone else have a friend like this who just like sends you a text message at just that right moment and it's just so much of a blessing? I allow her and she allows me to speak into each other's lives, but we don't speak into each other's lives because 
we haven't faced struggle or aren't in the middle of it, but because we both know how we go through it. And so then we have this opportunity to speak into each other's lives. The very people that are most qualified to speak into someone's life are those who are going through whatever it is you're struggling with, whatever I'm struggling with. Because God enables that and speaks from that place. Do you think Paul really felt these words or do you think he declared them as truth to fight back against the despair that pressed in on him? I'm sure there were days when Paul didn't feel this. We know in the scriptures he says, what I do, I don't wanna do, and what I don't wanna do, I do. He says, I prayed for something, a thorn in my flesh, but Jesus hasn't taken it away from me. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay so that you can know that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from me. He says, I am human in so many words. Paul knew, even when he faced those things, that the joy comes through the promise of Jesus. The joy that is lasting comes through trusting the promise of God. I have the gift of studying with some amazing people, and one of those individuals that I studied with this last week said this quote that is still on my board in my office. She said, the promise shifts our perspective. Any of you know Zara Matthew? Her dad's right here. Zara said this, and it remains on my board because it's profound and deep. She said that when you know the promise of God, you can't look at your situation in the same way because the promise of God shifts your perspective. I think Paul could relate to those words, that he knew the promise of God, and so therefore he wasn't able to look at his experience in the same way. Philippians chapter four, let's hear those words one more time. Philippians chapter four, starting in verse four, Paul says these words to you and to I today, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Like someone who is speaking their final words we tune in to listen very closely because Paul, who longed for something but didn't know if that would become a reality, spoke these words to those people that he loved. And these are under a heading, perhaps in some of your Bible, as final exhortations. He didn't know if this was the last message that he would be sharing with these people that he loved. It reminded me of two speeches that I want to share with you. John F. Kennedy in a famous speech said this, we shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Do you hear the pointed language, the, you grab onto this language because there's, there's importance in this. On April 3, 1968, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. shared the words in his final sermon that were poignant he lost his life the next day. He had people that were trying to take his life even then, and he knew it, and, he, and yet he spoke these words. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now. 
because I've been to the mountaintop and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Sounds like Paul there, doesn't he? Paul uses this same, this same effect as he begins to close his letter the admonitions, he trims his language to a minimum to communicate the meaning, like someone who's getting on a plane, unsure if they'll see their family again. He speaks these words with precision. Four admonitions. The first one is rejoice. This is that root word, joy or rejoicing, that we hear in this letter more times than in any of the rest of Paul's writings. This short little letter contains this word 14 times. Paul knew in himself that joy is not something that comes as a result of your circumstances. Not having exactly the job, responsibilities you want, or perfect children, or all the money you need, or peace in your relationships. Joy comes for Paul as he sees the work of God advance through the gospel, through all circumstances. Let your gentleness be evident. This word, this term gentleness was often used for an attitude of kindness where the normal or expected response was retaliation. So Paul sits in a, his own darkness, his own prison, and he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. For them, this was him right now. He's sitting in his own darkness, and yet when retaliation would be the natural response, when anger would be the natural response, he shows gentleness and kindness. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Do not be anxious. Replace your anxiety with thankful prayer about their suffering. Ladies Home Journal said, three out of four things you worry about happening don't happen. Three out of four things you don't worry about happening do. Which all goes to prove that even if you're worrying about the wrong things, you're doing just about the right amount of worrying. I don't know about that as a strategy, but what I know is that we can get so used to it that we hardly notice our worries anymore. Someone has observed that worry is the Christian's most popular sin because it's one that we don't even try to disguise. Worry is so common in our lives that we're not even particularly ashamed of it. Jesus speaks into this very place and he says, do not be anxious about your life. He speaks that over your life and my life today. Do not be anxious about the test you're going to take, about the clothes you put on, about the food that you'll eat. Your life is more valuable and more made up than all of just these things. Not Your life isn't just food or, or clothes, but you are worth so much to me. Jesus speaks of their value. God, Jesus speaks of how much God is paying attention. Do we believe that God truly has what's best for us in mind. Do you believe? Jesus asks you and me, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Luke 12, 25 and 26, Jesus says, you can't even add a cubit to your life. How much more can you do the harder things? Can you add a little bit to your height or can you add a day to your life? Can you add anything? You can't, you're powerless. Ellen White says in Desire of Ages on page 330, worry is blind and cannot discern the future, but Jesus sees the end from the beginning. 
In every difficulty, he has his way prepared to bring relief. Some of you, that's the only message that you need to leave here with today is that Jesus longs for you to feel relief right where you are, right in this place. She goes on to then say, our heavenly father has a thousand ways to provide for us of which we know nothing. That those who accept the one principle of making the service of God supreme will find perplexities vanish and a plain path before their feet. Worry would like to cloud our way so that we can't see what's right in front of us and yet God desires to put a plain path before us. Present your request to God, this other admonition. Whatever is bothering us, whatever is, is burdening your heart, Jesus wants to hear about it in prayer. A church member in Philadelphia used to say, God and I talk like we're friends. You keep talking to God as a friend until suddenly you're talking face to face. I love that. Joyce modeled that really well that we don't pray because we want change to happen or that we just even want things from God, but we pray because it presses us to be with God until suddenly we're face to face. Paul encourages us to lift up our eyes from wherever we are to thank God for how far we've come, to pause. It's really easy to forget what God has led us through. There's a song that has been on repeat in my mind this week and maybe you know this verse, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. If I fail to remember how God has been faithful so far, I fail to remember that God can be faithful now. And that grace, it all was grace before, and it's all going to be grace now, and it will all be grace in the future because it's God's sustaining power. That's the only way. That's the only way. So thanksgiving, this prayer and thanksgiving is this invitation to remember what God has done. And what is the result of all of this? Rejoicing, gentleness, prayer and petition, thanksgiving. The result is the peace of God peace guarding our hearts and minds. Now this is where it gets really hard. John 17, 15 is a prayer Jesus prayed and one part of that is Jesus says, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. That's guard them from the evil one. The same word, guarding your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, this peace, and that you guard them from the evil one. I would like to be taken out of it. I would like to be taken out of the pain or I would like to have others taken out of the pain or the trouble or the situations they're in. I would like, and I plead with God about this, remove the cancer that you're fighting now. Bring peace to the conflict in your family. Soothe the depression that eats away at your well-being. Calm the anxiety that keeps you from engaging in life. Repair the broken relationship. Answer the questions that you have about the future. Jesus is saying, you won't be removed from all of that, but I will protect you. The evil one would like nothing better than to take you down. The evil one would like nothing more than for you to look at the circumstance and say, you're still in it, so therefore God has abandoned you. There, you're still in it, so therefore God has forgotten you. That the love of Jesus would not be enough in that place. 
But Jesus says, my peace will guard you. Don't give in to the lies of the enemy. You are not alone. I am with you. Peace is not getting away from reality. We do need to go on vacations and pull away from reality, but the peace of God is right here, right in this place. I love the Old Testament description of peace, the word shalom, a state of wholeness and harmony. I remember talking to some people right after 9-11 who said, I wonder if I'll ever, ever feel secure after all that's happened. This is now a long time ago, but at the time, they said a terrorist attack on U.S. soil, watching planes on my television fly into buildings. Will I ever feel a lack of anxiety, the anxiety that I feel every day or every time I get on a plane? Will this ever be gone from me? But think about all that's happened since. 9-11, 2008 economic collapse, COVID-19 global pandemic, political unrest, war, natural disasters around the world. And that's not even looking close into the pain that you carried into this place or the people that you love. Do you ever just look at it all and weep? God intends shalom. God intends a state of wholeness and harmony. God intends peace. And so when you weep, you're actually declaring what God, what is true of God is that this isn't the way that I intended it to be. That this is not what I created you for. So God wants to guard our hearts and minds even while we're not taken out of the situation, even while you face trouble here in this world, even in this place, God says I want to guard you in that place. Eugene Peterson's version of these last two verses are really powerful to me. He says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. I love that wording because we come to God with worry, with anxiety, with anger, with pain, and those can be prayers. They're shaped into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. This promise of God, that God would be holding an anchor for us in the middle of whatever it is that we're facing. This Past week, one of our friends had a birthday, and so we were making something, inviting the kids to make chocolate cupcakes, vegan chocolate cupcakes together. And I was looking up something for it, and Ava said to me, I trust God, not Google. <laughs> I looked up and smiled. I was like, yeah? She's like, God knows everything. Google doesn't. Okay. And God is with me, Mom. Did you know God is with me? And I love that. I stopped and I looked at her and I said, yeah, yeah, God is. She's like, yeah, isn't that amazing? Yeah, it is. God asks you and asks me, do you trust me? Do you trust me with that? With whatever is stressing you, if that stressed you to cross your fingers, um, to open up your hands and be able to say, I trust you even with this? Do you trust me, God says? You might not be taken from your situation. There's so much we don't understand. 
but will we allow God to hold us in peace in that place? Years back, Time Magazine featured five missionary families on their cover and honored them for their service. One of those families was the J. Russell Morse family. J. Russell spent 18 months in a communist prison as he served in China. 15 of those months were spent in solitary confinement. His small cell had no window, only a small hole high up to let in a little bit of light and air. No bed, just filthy straw on the ground. For 15 months, he was not able to see or speak to anyone. Just one small panel through the bottom of the door opened and a bowl of food was shoved in once a day. He had no Bible, he had nothing to read, and he said they took his glasses so the world was really blurry for him. In his memoirs, he later wrote, the only thing that helped keep my sanity during that period were the Bible verses and hymns that I had memorized. And the one verse that kept me going most was Philippians 4, 6. Don't be anxious about anything, pray about everything, and with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. He wrote, if there was ever a time to be anxious, it was when I was in that prison. And if there was ever a time when it was difficult to pray and be thankful, it was then. But I kept repeating those words in my mind over and over again. From whatever prison you find yourself in today, depression, overwhelm, grief, debt, brokenness, illness, broken relationship, in that very place, God wants to guard you. In that very place, even if you're not taken out of it, though I would pray that you will, you can be guarded by the peace of God right there.